to the Rider Dojo. Your host, Steve Diamond. Happy New Year. Happy New Year's! Welcome back to the Rider Dojo, everybody. This episode, as you know, this is our last episode of 2022. So, uh, and, and New Year's is like a few days away. So, Happy New Year to all of you uh, Rider Dojo listeners out there. Thank you so much for sticking with us this whole year. Uh, if you're one of our original listeners, I don't know. Bless you for dealing with our craziness for, for a year and a half. Uh, if you're one of our new listeners, hey, welcome aboard. You've got so many episodes to listen to and re-listen to, uh, and tons more episodes to come. Uh, I, I know we said this at the start of season three, but um, start of season four, uh, which will come next week or the week after, we might take a, we might take a one or two week break to start the year just so that we have sanity for a minute. But uh, we are going to have more guests on, whether in person or call in. Um, we've been testing some of that stuff out. We're looking at equipment we can buy for it, um, you know. And the money that we're using to buy the equipment is literally thank you to our supporters. That money that you have contributed by being supporters, we are using directly to buy equipment, whether for recording at home or as Larry and I were talking a couple weeks ago um, for taking our show on the road when we go to conventions together. So microphones and sound mixers and stuff like that or mixing boards. I don't know. I don't know what the frick they're called. We'll ask Craig. We have smart people to help this us. Is, this is why Craig and, and, and Jack like help us with things because we just talk. So Larry, it's the end of the year, which means we need to talk about Endings. The end. Yay! A few weeks ago, we we were talking about writing sequels, and one of the things that uh, that we that we came up with in the course of that really really that episode was almost an hour long. That was a long. That was one and, of our longest episodes. And yeah. I and I think the reception to it was really good. People really seemed to like the episode. I enjoyed that episode that a fun. lot. It was fun. Um, and I think that next year, uh, as we're going through episodes, um, we'll talk about, we'll, we'll kind of take you on the journey with us as we go through some of our brainstorming, like how it went when we brainstormed for, for the sequel to Servants of War. And then um, we'll talk about, we'll just periodically update you episode here, episode there, about our whole process as we would go through it, just for fun. I think it's a great idea. Because um, we... If you haven't figured it out by now, Larry and I are extremely transparent about our processes and how we do things, um, from coming up with ideas to titles, as we've talked about, to names of characters, as we've talked about, tenses, all these things. Yeah, we're not, we're, we, we don't hide behind the mystical muses. No. We tell you guys how the sausage is made and how the stuff works. That's right. And so today, what we're going to talk about is endings. We figured we'd end the year and end the season talking about endings. It just symmet- felt appropriate. There's, there's certain symmetry to that. Yeah. So we, I, I want to talk about this, Larry, in terms of ending a short story, ending a novel, and ending a series. Because I think that there are things in common with all of those, but I also think that there are differences with, with each of those. Yep. So let's talk about, one, the first step 
in your opinion, Larry, what makes for a compelling ending? You've got to have reader satisfaction. In what way? There's got to be some sort of payoff. There's got to be some sort of like you get to the ending and the reader's like, yeah, all right. Now, when I say that, that doesn't mean you need to answer every question. doesn't mean you need to solve every problem. But you need to have some sort of thing that happens that the reader can look at that and go, yeah, that's a conclusion. That is my reward. I have made it to the end of this book and I am satisfied. Uh, an unsatisfying ending is when the book just ends and they're like, whoa, what happened? <laughs> now, I've, got, I've had that and I've had readers be unsatisfied at the end. Um, usually when I'm setting up future events, I didn't answer all, everything. But the thing is, you can't answer every question, especially in an ongoing series. But we talk about any short stories. Short stories, you have the most leeway. Oh, yeah. Like, like you don't really have to end much of anything in a short story. No, you, you can almost – a lot of endings in short stories, uh, and, and as a horror guy – drink – as a horror guy, um, you – oftentimes your ending – Pro, like promotes and provokes more questions than 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 any answers you received, yep. or you go, oh dang, that's messed up. Or you can flip the script at the very end on mm -hmm. a horror thing, and that's just fine. Yeah, and then you just stop and you walk away. It's like tossing a grenade into a room and then casually walking <laughs> away. Like on a short story, you can just you know a lot of times we described this before is it's almost like you're telling part of a story you're telling a scene mm -hmm. like uh, you have a non-existent novel and this is one scene of that non-existent novel so you really don't have to answer everything or wrap that much up you just need to wrap up that scene you need to have something I mean you don't have to I mean they could still be on the run at the end they could still have the disease they could still have the world still going to explode whatever it doesn't matter but you've just you've solved something there's something to reward the reader they got there to the end of that. Uh, when you're ending a book, much harder because a book you make a lot more promises as it goes. Well, and, and I think that that's one of the big things. We, when, when a reader picks up a book, within the first little bit of the book, there are certain expectations. And that's that um, you've introduced a problem and there is some... I don't want to say that there's an obligation. Uh, I don't like that word when it comes to to like author reader, uh, the author reader relationship. I hate that word. Those expectations. There, there's an expectation that the author is going to do you solid, and and is going to give you some semblance of closure. For example, Servants of War. Yeah, we've talked about this before. Where, um, at least I think we have, where. We ended, uh, we planned out the first book, and by the time I wrote like the first half of the book, we looked at it and we're like, boy, I don't know. I don't know that we're going to be able to get to this, this end point by the time we finish it off. We'll see. But I don't think we're going to get there, so let's come up with a new ending. Yep. So I did in the draft. I turned the draft over to you. You read it over, and then you and I sit, sit down and we have a conversation, and we're like... The ending's fine, but it's not awesome. It's not awesome enough. It needed a little bit more. We needed a little bit more with especially, and it had to do with the character Amos. Yep. We needed more closure. 
because I believe I believe what you your exact more or less your your paraphrased exact words <laughs> are were I feel like if we don't do this, there's not enough payoff for the for the Amos character for the readers. Yeah. So we had four point of view characters, and we had brought three of them together, mm-hmm. and we had a fourth one that was distant still. Yeah. And we set up to how we were going to get to him, but we didn't. And so I was like, with the expectations of the reader, we need to bring all four together. We have to have that yep. to, to bring the book well, to a satisfying and, conclusion. Well, and not just that, not just for the satisfying conclusion, but in terms of the first book in a series, in a potential series, yep. it was, we need them to come together so that we have a more valid and important starting point for them in book two. Yep. And and I think that that's one of the key interesting aspects of writing the ending to a book one in a series. Yeah. So when you're writing the end of a standalone novel. Oh, that's a different game. Yeah. You got a lot more freedom. Yeah. If you're writing the end of book one in a series, you need to have a satisfying conclusion that sets up number two. And then that brings us to our last part is ending the series. Yeah. Now, ending the series, that's the biggest one. That's the one you have to stick the landing. You got to nail that landing. You got to nail that. Okay, speaking as a guy who's reviewed and who's read hundreds of books, more books than the average bear. If you don't nail your landing on the series, it taints the whole series. It really does. Now, I'm going to speak to it's not a book series, it's a game series. Um, I've spoken on this before, but you know, I'm, I'm writing a science fiction series Mass Effect. Mass Effect. Called it. Yep. <laughs> I just played through Mass Effect 1 through 3 again. Yep. Um, start to finish. They had that, like, the legendary edition that has all the bells and whistles. Did they put a good ending on it this time? No. Oh. Um, it, it's a smidge more satisfying, but it's fine. Like, I, I, I to me, Mass Effect 2 is still... Is still the best of the series. It's a great game. It's yeah. a fantastic game. It has a good ending. It has an awesome ending. Um, the feeling of the suicide mission, and then if you pick the right people, they survive. If you if you screw up, it's your fault, and they die. Like, like you feel connected. And then three, it doesn't quite have that same feeling. You you do get a little bit of the sense of oh, the galaxy is is caving in on everybody and stuff, and and all the reapers are coming and stuff. But then you get to the very 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 end. And I found as I was listening to the end, um, the giant cutscene that you can't fast forward for some reason. Freaking Bioware. You, I, I found that my brain was saying, you guys didn't do this right. Um, and it had nothing to do, the, the main complaint that people have about the ending is that your choices didn't really matter mm-hmm. that much. And I'm like, it's, it's a galaxy-ending event. Like, who your girlfriend is at the end of the game is irrelevant. <laughs> you know? Whether you punched or gave a high-five to that reporter doesn't matter. Like, that's not the problem. The problem is a lack of clarity and a lack of general... It feels like, it feels like it's out of left field to use a sporting term. Like the ending, like all of a sudden there's this like weird hologram of a kid who who is supposed to represent the kid that you're seeing. I didn't finish. I know you yeah. you, you glitched out in, in one of the very last and, fights. And I rage quit. I know, I remember. My, my point to all this is 
your ending, you have to stick the ending because it's the last thing, it's that last moment that everyone is going to remember. It colors the perceptions of the entire series. Mass Effect 2, in my opinion, one of the greatest action role-playing games ever made. Oh, yeah. Ever. Easily, yes. But you know how many people talk about that? Very few. Because they always talk about, oh, so you just picked one of three endings at the end of Mass Effect 3. And I'm like, one, your expectations are a little junk on that. But two, but two, like, they didn't stick the ending. Game, more, more recent Game of Thrones TV show. Oh, gosh. Seven seasons or something Seven like that? Seven seasons. And remember for a while there, it was like the hotness and it was everywhere. And even, even people who don't like Martin... We're looking at oh, that yeah, show I going, can't. we're going, yo, this is pretty cool. I can't stand George Martin, like on a personal level. But production values on that show? Beautiful show. Dude. Yeah. And acting on that show? Phenomenal. Really and good. For the, and I, I only watched like three episodes grand total, you know, but it's like, it was a cultural phenomena. And I have never seen anything disappear so quickly from like the cultural um, popularity thing as I did that. Oh, it went from it went from everybody cuddling and giving doing, doing like kumbayas to like getting ready to stab each other in the face. Yep, because they didn't stick the ending. Yep. Well, because George Martin's lazy and didn't write an ending, so they true. made up their own and it sucked. But the thing is, it's like you gotta stick the ending of a series. If you leave people hanging on the end of a series and you screw it up, it taints the entire thing. Yep. So you're not just tainting one work. You're tainting three books, five books, seven books, 12 books. That's why, honestly, why Brandon Sanderson's so damn successful is he took Robert Jordan's big, big mega series that had gone on for decades. And ended it in such a way that most of the fans were like, all right, cool. He ended it better than I think most of the long-term fans were expecting it to mm-hmm. end. I think you're right. Because the last few books for Robert Jordan had gone... Well, uh, he was, he was, Robert Jordan was in a bad spot. Oh, yeah, to be fair. I mean, my gosh. Yeah, the guy. The dude was dying. And he still outworked George Martin. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know? Oh, yeah. So, to, to, to be fair, yeah, but that's why one reason we launched Brandon's career was he stuck the landing. Well, and he stuck the landing on the, on the original Mistborn trilogy. Yeah, oh, yeah. It was a very satisfying conclusion. That ending was good. Yeah, a very satisfying conclusion. So, here's the thing, guys. You, you've got to have, you, you've got to have payoff. The bigger the series, the bigger the payoff. You can't just like go quietly into the night. <laughs> you know, you've got to you got to stick that landing. I do wonder. Is there a difference, Larry, in your opinion? Okay, because series, there are different kinds of series. There's the series like, um, okay, Bosch. Um, the oh, open-ending long-term. The hair, the, yeah, the open-ended long-term series mm-hmm. versus a hard magic type series, which has an end, yep. like capital E-N-D. I do think that there is a pretty heavy distinction between those two. Absolutely. Because with Bosch, you know, you got 26 novels or whatever it yeah. is of, of each one has a crime story. Each one has a, a case or a couple cases, and it's the adventures of this one detective solving that case. Now, in that one, the ending is about each novel. Each individual novel in the series has to have a satisfying conclusion. It's an open-ended series, so it doesn't have a big, well, 
that I know of. I don't know. Is there? I don't know. Actually, not I, really. I haven't read that far. I've, <laughs> I think I read like the first 12 books. Um, okay. So, so if there's one after this, I, I don't hold it against me. I haven't read well, it yet. I mean, so. look, it, it's, it, it goes, it goes kind of where you expect, right? Like he's a cop, he's a cop, he's a cop. And then at a certain point he's like, F this, I'm a PI. Yeah. Which is where the TV series goes, right? Yeah. So, I, I mean, there's, there are certain specific important arcs. And you even see this in the TV show. The first season of Bosch, and my wife and I are rewatching this right now because I love that show more than anything. Um, the first season, you know, it's about um, uh, Raynard Waits. And Waits kind of becomes obsessed with Harry a little bit and uses Harry's tragic past with his mom and the murder of his mom to kind of do his own thing. So they start introducing his mom, right? Season two. He finds out towards the end of season two that um, he, he starts understanding who it is that maybe murdered his mom. And then in season three, uh, he starts investigating perhaps you know, a little bit of what had to do with this one. So there's two separate story arcs. There's the main story arc of each of those seasons. Like the first season, it's Raynard Waits. He's a serial killer. Yeah. Second season, it has to do with the, the ex the dirty cops and the, in like the, the murder of the rich, the rich, um, the rich movie producer. The trunk music. The trunk music. Yeah. And, and then, you know, season three is about the bad contractors. Mm -hmm. And that's what those are about. That's like the A story. And then there's B stories. For a long time, the C story in that, it's just, it's mentioned in like two, three episodes, maybe just mentioned is, is the through line of his mom. And I think that that's the difference between open-ended stories Yeah, is the threads that go through are, are often like C level stories that kind of go through until the book where it matters and you want to solve that. So it goes C, 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 B, A, and then it happens, and then it ends. I actually do that with Monster Hunter. Yeah, you do. Um, and that each individual book has its problem, like the big thing that the book is about. And each book, by the end of that book, that thing is solved. Mm -hmm. That is the satisfying conclusion. However, there's the overarching story that unites all the books that builds and builds and goes up and goes down. And there's developments and recurring characters mm -hmm. and things that are revisited and so on and so forth. And so sometimes you do get people who are like, you 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 solved the A story, but you didn't solve the C story. Like, correct. Correct. <laughs> like, what happens next? Well, that's the whole. I'm not going to stick another 140,000 words onto the end of this book. Well, because that I think I think that that's probably people's uh, hanging around you as much as I do. I think that that's probably people's biggest air quotes complaint about bloodlines. They're like. But you didn't answer everything. You're like, well, no yeah. kidding. You're it's, like, I can't. I'm, 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 it's it's the it's another it's another hundred fifty thousand words. Well, and to it's not answer even the conclusion question. of the overall story arc. Yeah. It's like, sorry guys, you're looking at a dozen books. Yeah. Um, I don't know. So, so I think there's like different types of endings. You know. Yeah. They're, they're, but I, I think we've we've covered those. And where to come out? Let's, let's. I think when we come back, let's talk a little bit about like how to actually pull these off. That's a good idea. So we'll take a really quick break, and we'll come back, and we'll get into nuts and bolts. We'll be right back. Dr. Megan McAllister was already an unusual human. NASA astronaut, 
professional astronomer, Polymath, when she encountered the man in the black suit that night in West Texas. What Division I agent Echo didn't know when he recruited her for Alpha Line was that she was even more special. But he'd find out soon enough. Award-winning author Stephanie Osborne uses the urban legend of the beings who show up at UFO sightings and make the evidence disappear to craft her vision of the universe we don't know about. Division One chronicles this universe through the eyes of recruit Megan McAllister, AKA Omega, and experienced partner Echo, as they handle everything from lost alien children to extraterrestrial assassination to galactic invasion and more. Alpha and Omega is available in Nook, Kindle, and trade paperback wherever fine books are sold. Pick up your copy today. Welcome back. What you missed in that break, Larry and I always have very lively discussions at the break. Uh, for you, it's mere moments. You know, you, you hear about whatever awesome book we're promoting and whatever that book is, you should totally buy it, especially if it has one of our names on it, or especially if it's uh, one, of our, one of the people advertising for us, uh, advertising in the middle of our, of our segments. Uh, for you, it's moments. For Larry and I, it's minutes of glory where we talk about the random crap that we're doing or complain about people. Uh, in this one, we were talking specifically about endings and how I actually have trouble writing endings. And I think that it's a, a, an end result of how you write, whether you're an outliner versus a discovery writer. One of our very, very first episodes was, was about this, outlining versus discovery writing. And I think that there are inherent difficulties and benefits to writing endings with, with either method. Um, but I think personally, um, I have issues with endings because I almost always know my beginnings. That's, what, that's the spark that gets me onto a story, but I don't quite know where I'm going sometimes. And so that, that ending becomes very difficult for me. And I start agonizing over it when I'm right around the halfway point, which is basically where I am in my, in my, in my novel right now. Whereas as an outliner, I usually have the ending in mind when I start. And so I work towards it. So actually, it's interesting that you bring up the, the discovery writing and the, the endings being a challenge. Because who is the single most famous and successful discovery writer alive? Stephen King. What does Stephen, what is the worst thing about, like, universally agreed upon? It's his endings. I mean, they even make fun of it in the new It movies. Yeah. His endings He makes suck. fun of it. He makes fun of it he in his cameo. terrible endings. Yeah. Like, like he, he just writes crappy endings. With the exception, and I always say this, with the exception of 11-22-63, I think that, that is a really, really good ending. Yeah. And I actually think it's a very, like, touching good ending. It's- it's that I love that book. And the TV show had Nick Searcy in it. <laughs> the TV show's good. The TV show's really good. Actually, and really Nick Searcy kills killed it. it. He was he's so, so freaking he's so good. good in that. But yeah, so uh, but, but so when you have like the most famous discovery writer alive, 
and he struggles at it, don't feel bad that you also struggle with that. <laughs> That's I mean, true. I guess I shouldn't feel too bad. I mean, the guy sold like 100 million books, oh. so clearly he's doing something. Yeah, yeah he had a five to begin in that one. He's also proof, we're not saying you had, you had to stick the ending, but he's also proof that you can be successful if you don't. But then again, just like I tell people, you know, you're not Dan Simmons. You're not Cormac McCarthy. You ain't Stephen King. You ain't Stephen King. Uh, a lot of these guys, you know, you can you can coast on names. If you screw up your ending, you you don't have 150 books that you wrote before that of goodwill. Yeah, or, you know, 3,800 TV and movie adaptations. Yeah. So as far as, like, sticking the ending, uh, as an outliner, I'm working towards it. That said... The advantage you have as a discovery writer is you can come up with a better ending as you go because you surprise yourself. Yeah, which is kind of what happens. Oddly enough, when I wrote Residue, um, I knew what the ending to that one was going to be really, really early on. And I knew what the ending to the series was going to be almost immediately thereafter. So, I mean, that to me, that's crazy. That's That's weird for me. Yeah. And that ending, the ending for the series, in my brain, we'll see if I can execute, but in my brain, like, it's a perfect bittersweet ending for that series. And I'm like, okay, cool. I know where I'm going. But I'm curious, Larry, when, when, you're, when you're outlining, because um, we want to talk nuts and bolts, how do you get to your endings? Okay, so I think about, I put myself in the reader's shoes and think, what is the payoff what is the moment of cool? And I like big action set pieces. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, the the novel Spellbound. When I finished Spellbound, the original finale was the fight on the island, on Roosevelt Island, with the robots. Mm-hmm. It was cool. It was a, and I could have ended the book there. Um, and it, but I wrote it, and I was like, hmm, you know, this isn't big enough. This isn't meaty enough. This needs more crazy big finale. I need a bigger... Because the first book had this amazing Zeppelin fight at the say, end, right? Teleporting ninjas on a Zeppelin. And so originally I was working towards this fight against a bunch of robots on an island and then it gets sucked into a dimensional hole and and blows it up. And that's cool and all, but I was like, wait a minute, you know, this is not enough. So I needed to like get a bigger, meteor thing. Hence the giant kaiju rampage through Washington, D.C. And I tell you, the, the endings of each of those books are baller by the way yeah, they're, um they're big pieces yeah. big set pieces those are big each all three of those has a giant epic set piece ending um so it just I, I so my original outline wasn't big enough so i went back and i rewrote it to have a bigger more satisfying conclusion made the whole book about twenty thousand words longer it's about 150 right it's about 150 all three of yeah. those are about 150 that sounds right and and just but the payoff and the status reader satisfaction so nobody finishes that trilogy and comes away like let down like dang Larry how come there weren't enough action scenes in this book yeah no and one then, says that and then the third one I do the whole crazy like uh, butch Cassie Sundance kid through Shanghai but I also do like a triple battle you know because in, in power armor yeah so I'm having this bizarre power armor battle through Shanghai at the same time <laughs> I'm basically having Faye fight the giant space monster and so it's just crazy jumping back and forth mega finale no one leaves that series unsatisfied you know what I mean so I think a big part of it is you just got to get that awesome cool payoff you got to you got to get you got to get in the reader's head and say what am I going to give these people that's going to like like boom this is it it's almost like Marvel is kind of sucks since Endgame right yeah yeah, that's fair. Endgame had a giant payoff Well, that they worked towards for yeah. a decade. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, you see Thor's hammer lift 
and all of a sudden it's it's freaking Captain America with it. Yeah. There's not a single person in the freaking world that didn't go, oh, heck yeah. Ooh, yeah. Like, was, let's do this. It was amazing. So, yeah, the movie had a lot of shortcomings and plot holes and the whole time travel stuff was goofy as hell, but well, and, massive, Thanos massive payoff. Oh, yeah. Thanos' plot was just dumb as crap. The, the, the movie, the, 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 the comic book version was so much smarter, but the payoff- was overall was a yeah. decade of commitment to movies, and it all came together. Massive payoff. Since then, though, it's just kind of like, and there's no, there's, there's no, no direction. There's no direction. There's no big conclusion. People need that satisfying hook. And so we talk about the overarching series end versus the the, the book end. The Marvel's Phase Four is a great example of the series has lost its way. Each of those movies might have a satisfying conclusion. I don't know. I've only watched a few of them. Man. I mean, Spider-Man was good, but most of them, just, so that movie itself has a satisfying clue, but it doesn't matter because the the C plot, the big plot, the overarching plot got resolved and hasn't been replaced No, satisfactorily. So you have two separate things here, but you got to think, what, what does the reader want to get out of this and am I going to give it to them and then give it to them extra hard? Oh, so many jokes. I know, I know. So little time. Well, I watched Die Hard again last night because I, I love Die Hard. To me, I think Die Hard is a perfect movie. It really, truly is a great classic movie. And it is a master class in building tension. But think about it. Every subplot in Die Hard has a satisfying conclusion. It leads up to a big action set piece ending where everything culminates. And then every question that needs to be answered is answered. I, when I think about it that way, I and I, and I'm just gonna go back to the the TV series of Justified. Oh, wonderful show! So often, TV series have, uh, let's just call them poor endings. Whether whether it's because they get canceled before they can, you know, tie everything off, yeah. or you know, or they just don't even know if they're gonna get canceled, so they. They wrap it up too early, and then they get another season, and then it just feels tacked yeah, on feels or weird. whatever. Yeah. Um, Justified actually has one of my favorite endings. Um, throughout the whole thing, you see Raylan as the gunfighter. You see it the whole time. You see his relationship with Boyd Crowder, and you see Boyd Crowder's relationship with everybody else. And, and you're always wondering, how is all this going to get resolved? And in the end... The idea is, well, what what do we want to give the watcher? What do we want to give the quote-unquote reader, watcher of it? And that's, well, it started with a gunfight. Maybe it should end with a gunfight. And so Raylan does. He ends up in the in the the literal white hat, black hat uh, gunfight at the end. And, you know, him and then the other guy, they draw, they shoot. Boone. Him and Boone. Yep. And then it cuts to black. And you're like, oh, crap. And as the watcher, you think, well, okay, if Raylan lives, I'm happy with that because I love Raylan. But if he dies, I mean, it makes sense. that makes sense. Yep. And so somehow, and bless the writer, I'll have to ask uh, Tony Daniel about this because one of his students is one of the writers, for, was one of the writers for Justified. I'll have to ask him if he knows. But, uh, or maybe you will, maybe you should ask him because you, you know him better than I do and you have that relationship with your 
uh, with your Second Amendment book coming out next month. Oh, yeah. Uh, actually, by the time this airs, like within like two weeks or three yeah, weeks. Yeah, tw- 24th of January. 24th. Okay, so within three weeks of, three or four weeks of this episode releasing, your Second Amendment book will come out. You guys should all buy that. Definitely should buy that. Um, so it comes back, the, you know, the scene comes back and Raylan gets up. He's got blood on his head and there's a hole in his hat and Boone's dead and... I'm like, oh my gosh, they killed Raylan's hat. Yep. That was almost as good. This is <laughs> like, this was everything for me. For me, it, it actually fulfilled both. Well, another they, part he of lived, that scene. But his hat, which is, he is freaking, I mean, it's a character. It's his emblem. It's a character. It's, it's himself in the show. It dies. I'm a- like, Ava dang. drives away. Ava gets, Ava, Ava's a prisoner. Ava gets to the car and drives away. Mm-hmm. That was awesome too you know and then the very final scene of the show was him meeting with uh, Boyd Crowder in prison yeah the good about it is it answered all the questions all the that questions needed to answer it fulfilled all the promises and yet those lives are still going to go on and oh, yeah. other things can happen and in fact we know now that we're going to see more Raylan this year yeah when that Detroit show yeah City Primeval yeah I think it's coming Q1 or by April I have no fingers crossed hope it's good me too. Oh. Yeah. I don't know. I, I have little faith in Hollywood now, so. Me too. We'll see. But I'll give Raylan Givens a pass. Oh, I, yeah. Fingers crossed. I'll watch it. So there, there's, okay, let, let's get back to some, some nuts and bolts stuff. And I want to talk about from, let, let's, let's start how we started the episode. Short story, novel, series. Short stories, nuts and bolts. How do we come up with endings for the short stories that we write. Usually because I'm just trying to end one scene. Mm-hmm. That said, I've had short stories that have been completely self-contained. Do you feel that the longer the, the quote unquote, the longer the short story goes, the more resolution you end up getting? Yes. I do too. The difference between a 3,000, 5,000, 7,000, and 10,000 word story, is huge. Oh yeah. 20,000 word novella. That's different. That's a contained tor- story. Yeah, it's contained. Usually, okay, so I did, for example, a short story um, called The Dregs, and I did it for a fantasy anthology for uh, Chris Kennedy Publishing. And I actually, because it, uh, it, it's not been in one of my collections yet, it's actually excellent. And I want to say it's about a 10,000 word story. Oh. And it's got, it's got a whole complete story with a ton of backstory in it, too, and a big, satisfying conclusion. I did another one called uh, Mr. Sunshine. Uh, or, or Mr. Positive, the Eternal Optimist. Yeah, that's in the Laurel K. Hamilton's, Laurel K. Hamilton's one. One of the greatest short stories I ever, I ever wrote. It's a comedy. It's imagine Chris Traeger from Parks and Rec um, as the Terminator. Okay, yeah. and so he's like the super upbeat assassin from the future. Yeah. And the thing is, I got so much world building in this. And the thing is, it has a complete story. It's got a beginning, middle, and end. It's got a conclusion for multiple characters. Um, and it's only about 7,000 words. So it's one of those you really can. But I've had other stories that are basically, um, honestly, just one scene. And the and what's wrapped up at the end is negligible. Yeah. You know, like like they got out of this one crisis. And that's it. So honestly, short story, man, sky's the limit. Um, it could go anywhere from com- contained, complete narrative to just tiny little tidbit. When... I've been fortunate in that a lot of the Bane anthologies that I've been in, in terms of 
uh, especially lately, they're all longer stories, um, you know, 10,000 words or so, mm-hmm. which I guess technically isn't a short story anymore, but whatever. I don't care. Uh, I can't ever keep it doesn't up on those matter anymore. arbitrary numbers. That, that some organization decided up. Yeah, um, who knows? They're going to communist guys. China anyway. Yeah. Hopefully they can come back. We, we can always trade them for an arms dealer. I would trade him for an arms dealer in a heartbeat. Man. Uh, I've been fortunate in that those stories have been longer. So um, the the privileges of violence, or privileges or profession, one of the two, I don't remember, for uh, in Noir Fatale, that story is 10,000 words, and that's Christoph's origin story. That's a That's a full-on story. Oh, yeah. That's full-on. There's a beginning, there's a middle, and there's an end. Uh, and it pretty much, it tidally wraps up um, with a question of, oh, well, I guess we know where he's going now. Yep. Um, my story uh, for the third volume is more, it's more of, it's it's a single case that the character is working on. Yep. Uh, the challenge in that was, it's a sequel to a book that I haven't written yet. So that was a little weird. Yeah, which that is a little, that's a different challenge. The beautiful thing though is you can always go back and uh, tweak the short story to fit the universe. Yeah, better. I'm not. I'm not worried about that part. Well, so I got two Lost Planet homicides now. Yeah. Uh, that I've done. Uh, so the first one's just called Lost Planet Homicide. Second one's Lost Planet Homicide, Ghosts of Zenith. You're welcome for that title. Good title. Thank you, Steve. We just did titles. We just did a title episode. Yeah. I forgot to bring that one up. Yeah, we should have. Then Steve gave me that. We're one. really that was, good at naming each other's books. Just that was Steve's own. suggestion. Um, <laughs> but Ghosts of Zenith, I believe, comes out in January. And so these are novellas, about twenty thousand words. Exactly 20,000 words novellas. Um, exactly. And actually, I'm doing the Bosch thing on those where you have a case. Yeah. But then there's the overarching thing. So I have the- There's um, the through line. So I ha- Yeah, there's a through line. So the, 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 the case is a murder he's trying to solve in the first one. The second one's a hostage situation that he's trying oh, to solve. So good. Uh, but there's the big question is like, what is actually going on with this lost colony? Why did this lost colony get tossed to the ass into the universe? What is really going on? Are there aliens involved? Uh, what, I mean, what the heck is going on here? And so there's 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 two separate stories. But the main A story is resolved in each book. But the, the C one, I'm going to keep going until I have five of these and I'm going to make right. a novel. Mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> That's my plan. Yeah, just a collection that you throw them in and, it, and, it, and that, that arc, especially if it's all in one story – that C arc that graduates to the A arc by the end will be pretty satisfying. Yeah, because there's a lot of a lot of clues in there. And so honestly, guys, endings are multi-layered. Um, and you just gotta like be strategic about this and be clever and write to your mission. So if your mission is I'm writing a one book, one and done, then by golly, you get that ending everything you can, maximum satisfaction. If you're doing a, a continuing arc, think about like you give them enough. To have a satisfying conclusion, but leave the the threads hanging that you can pick at for the second one. Okay, I guess that leads to that that leads to a question that I have um, that we can that we can discuss. When we had Tony Weisskopf on down at FanCon, we we were asking her about the approaches of new authors coming to her with stories and saying, "Okay, well how how should they be presenting this to you? Yep. Like novel series?" And she's like, "Novels." That can totally be series at some point. Yep. So where's that line then? How do we do that? How do we say, oh, this is a, this can be a standalone book. How do we give just enough satisfaction to say this is a standalone? 
but here's some questions that can be turned into a series. The two books I would suggest for my own repertoire just to kind of like – because I wrote Monster Hunter that way Mm -hmm. and I wrote Hard Magic that way. Both of them were designed that they could stand by themselves, yet both of them introduced enough world stuff that I can continue the story. And I I would suggest if if readers haven't read – if if listeners haven't read those – those are ones where I've done a really good job, I, I think. I, obviously, I'm biased. Um, but, you know, it's paid off. It's hooked. Um, but like Son of the Black Sword, I knew that was going to be a series going in. Uh, from the get-go, I knew that was going to be a series. Well, and I think we wrote... Servants of War has a very distinct ending. Oh, it does. It has a, it has a solid ending. And yet... There's a lot of questions unanswered. Yeah, we had and, a lot of threads, and and we have a, a bigger overarching threat who we introduced. Yep. and dealt with. And actually, interesting too, um, the opposite side of this coin is Gunrunner, that I did with John Brown. So Gunrunner, unfortunately for me, had the misfortune of coming out during the height of COVID. You know, ninety nine percent of the booksellers in America were closed, and I was trying to launch a new sci fi series, and so it it did okay. Compared to everything else, but everything else sucked too. And like nobody sold any books that year. It was a terrible no, year for books. It was bad. Um, and we we sold ebooks. That was it. People weren't even commuting anymore, so even audio was down. So it just wasn't. And at this stage of my career, I compete against myself. Yeah. Right. I'm competing against my own time. I'm not competing against other people. And so that series is probably not going to go anywhere else. It's probably going to be one and done. Well, I mean. It's in the same Lost Planet universe. Well, it's the same universe as Lost Planet Homicide, but I'm saying the Gunrunner story is probably yeah. done, which is too bad because it's a lot of fun. If you guys haven't read it, Gunrunner is a great story. But the thing is, Gunrunner is also a cohesive narrative that has an ending. Yeah. Now, obviously, it sets up a bunch of other stuff that we could have continued. It has a bunch of other questions that aren't resolved, but the actual story is, is done. Yeah. Yeah, it's got an end. It has. I think I think it has much more of a stamped, so to speak, ending than say Servants of War. Yeah, Servants we definitely the way Servants ended, um, you know that those characters aren't at the end of their journey. Oh, they're not even close. Whereas the way Gunrunner ended, one character was off, like had to flee. The other character, you know, uh, was probably just gonna keep doing his thing. You know? And so we could walk away from the story right there and and be content. You know, the readers are content. The readers have a solid ending. And they had a big action set piece, you know, kaiju battle at right. the end with giant robots. So it's one of those things. So make sure, guys, if you are trying to do this thing, like when, when, when Tony was talking to Steve during that interview about pitch it as a book that can't stand alone yet turn into a series – uh, those are perfect examples. On one hand, Servants of War did turn into a series, whereas Gunrunner is is going to be by itself. So it's one of those you don't know when you write this yeah. stuff. You don't know what the market's going to receive it as. You don't know how it's going to go. Uh, it's one of those you you don't want to put uh, – in accounting, we have um, sunk costs. Sunk cost fallacies. Yep, sunk cost yep. fallacy. People are like, well, I've invested this much time in this project. I must continue. No, you don't. No, you don't. You really don't. If, so if I have a book that's not making much money, I could write book two and then try to get book one jump started, or I can go write book one of something else that's a whole new fresh slate yep. 
So, so you guys got to be very analytical on this. Mm-hmm. So like, I, like I said, that book is good, and I feel I'm proud of it. And we did stick the ending. It was a great ending. Um, I, I'm, it's a good book. However, just the market conditions at the time, it is what it is, you know? Yeah. So. All right. I, I have a feeling that at some point we'll, we'll come back to this and tackle this some more. Um, maybe we'll come back to it as I'm, as I'm wrapping up the, as a discovery writer. Maybe, maybe we'll do specific episodes on like tackling endings as a discovery writer, tackling endings as an outliner, um, especially as we're, or, or tackling endings as a co-authorship. We could probably pick some books and shows that people have all, that are really familiar with and compare and contrast ones that did have good solid endings. Okay. Well, let, let's, let, and, and, if, and then see why. Okay, so I, I, I'm just going to say right now, the ending of Justified, fantastic. I think, is fantastic. I also think that the season seven, six, seven of Bosch, before it turns into Bosch Legacy. Which I have not watched yet. I'm waiting for my daughter to get home So <laughs> to watch it with her. Um, I, I actually think that that's, it's a good ending. It's a little abrupt for me. Uh, but but you felt it coming well, the whole so, time. As much as I love the TV show of The Expanse, that ending's weird, dude. It's an, it's a weird ending. And you know what I think it is. Um, well, I think that was forced by the nature of like the deal they had on TV. I I think there's two aspects to it. So the book series does almost the same thing. Book six happens. And there's some events that happen. And I think you see them, um, there's like those, I don't know, it's like that weird sea line through through season six on the show where they're on the, the different planet and there's like the weird aliens yeah. and, and crap. So there's clearly some sort of alien technology behind the scenes. And then it just stops. Off. Yeah. Right? Now in the books- I'm assuming there's a time jump. There, it's like 30 years or something like that. Um, I was talking with, with our buddy Dan Smythe about this because he's like super fan of The Expanse. Um, and so he, he and I were talking about it and he's like, oh yeah, there's a time jump and then all that stuff actually matters. But in the show, they have it in there. It doesn't matter. Yeah. And so it makes the ending weird. It's hard to do a 30 year time jump on a TV show. Well, you know, and the one, okay, here's one that does stick to Breaking Bad. Breaking Bad had a really interesting ending yeah, for me. Interesting ending, but did it answer every question? Oh, heck no. Yeah. It didn't. No, but, I mean, Je- I mean, they they ended up making a TV movie yeah, because the, Jesse drives off El Camino. In the El Camino. Yep. Now the thing is, though, was it a good ending? Though, was it a satisfying ending? <sighs> to me, it was satisfying. I found it satisfying. Jesse escaping as he did, Walter dying as he did. Yep. His wife being a shell of herself because of everything she went through. Because she was evil. Oh, she was. She was a different sort of evil than him. Oh yeah, yeah. But she was bad. See, but I think that was well, that was a show with a. I think it had a good ending. This, I think so. Did it answer? No, it didn't. But it answered enough. It, it gave you the payoff. It gave the watcher the payoff, and I think that's key. Did you watch? Um, did you watch all of Burn Notice? Yeah, I watched the entire thing of Burn Notice. I've, so, I've seen every episode. So some of the some of the episodes there, I, I felt like towards the end of the series there was a lot of filler, but the ending. Okay, so the last season where they had where he went back to work for the CIA mm-hmm. got really weird. However, but that that very last episode, yep, the ending where what, what's her name? 
his mom? No, no, not his mom. Well, that that's a that's a tragic ending, but a yeah. good ending for her. But the the ending of Fiona mm-hmm. when she's reading to the kid, yeah, and she says, uh, she says, let me tell you about a story about a guy named um, what's what's his freaking name? Michael. Michael Weston. Michael Weston. He used to be a spy. Yep. Like to tie it in with like the the intro bump to every episode. I was like, oh dang. Good so freaking good. job. So good. Good yeah. freaking job. Yeah, it actually had. A, I thought. I thought it had a very satisfying conclusion. X Files, terrible ending. I don't even. It was so bizarre. Like that was just like wonky bizarre. They, it just stops. And, the, and it'd be like if you write a book and having the main characters just leave, yeah. and have new characters come in, which is really too bad. I'm a fan of Robert Patrick. I think Robert yeah. Patrick's a fantastic actor. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And so I think I think Robert Patrick kind of got screwed. He did. You know, in this job, no one could have saved this. No, it didn't matter. This is not an indictment of him. It didn't matter. No, no, Robert Patrick they, is fantastic. Mads Mikkelsen could have come in, and it wouldn't have been. It wouldn't have been. Good it, it could have been Idris Elba and uh, and, and and Timothy Oliphant. And Timothy Oliphant, dude, <laughs> and, and it still would have sucked. And it still would have sucked. It's too bad. So, <laughs> what like, is funny is like we, we immediately knew the exact oh, same yeah. actors. Yeah, this, this is how you know, <laughs> guys. This is how you know that that Larry and I have been friends for a long time. All right. So those are some good examples for you. In terms of books, I do want to recommend in terms of um, – I'm, I'm going to shill Larry for a sec. Both in terms of Hard Magic with a contained series and then the kind of this the, the ongoing series with a, with a, a more long-term open-endedness to it, Monster Hunter. I think both of those are really, really good examples of what we're talking about. Another series that I think is actually really, really cool and good about this – it's called The Milkweed Triptych. It's from a guy named Ian Tregillis. Um, the first book is called Bitter Seeds. The next one is called uh, The Coldest War. And then the third one is called Necessary Evil. Those three books are awesome. And they're actually, I don't know if you know this, Larry, they're the seed for where I got our Octoon Cthulhu campaign from. Oh, no, I didn't know that. The idea is World War II. Um, Germany has all of these like weird human hybrid monster things like people with powers and then the the british use um basically cthulhu gods to fight them series is awesome and the ending is really cool and distinct uh which is why i recommend to a lot of people and it's it's kind of off the wall each book has a pretty interesting ending especially book two and it could have been done it could have been over at the end of book two but then book three comes out and it puts a whole new spin on it. It's really, really cool. Cool. So anyway, those are some of your literature ones. Um, if you want a horror, uh, I know there's there's a lot of people. I get a lot of requests for good horror recommendations now. Oddly, weird, right? Drink. <laughs> it's like I'm a horror author. Um, Speaks the Nightbird by Robert McCammon. It's it's the start of like a nine book series, but it feels like it could have ended after book one. And it's completely satisfying that way. Awesome. So there you have it. Endings, the end of the show, the end of the season, the end of the year. Thank you guys so much for listening to the Writer Dojo. We'll see you in season four. We'll see you next year, dad joke. <laughs> see you guys. Adios. Writer Dojo is Steve Diamond and Larry Korea. Produced by Jack Wilder and Bear and Hair Studios. Theme song, Word Mercenaries by Craig Nibo. New episodes come out every Wednesday wherever you stream your content. If you enjoyed this podcast, you can help support us by going to anchor.fm slash writerdojo 
by leaving a five-star rating and review, and by helping to spread the word. To advertise on the Writer Dojo, email ads at writerdojo.com. All questions and comments can be emailed to questions at writerdojo.com. We need aliens.